from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPees Residency Program. Some of the most common health problems in children involve the ears, nose, and throat. Infections, enlargements, or developmental disorders can cause problems with breathing, hearing, speech, and swallowing. How can your kids be affected by these problems, and how can your friendly ear, nose, and throat doctor help you and help them feel better? Today, we'll be tackling these issues with our guest pediatric otolaryngologist, Dr. Mark Reed. Share your comments and questions with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to kids at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Trump administration plans to begin rolling out part of the president's travel ban tonight. NPR's Joel Rose reports the U.S. Supreme Court had partially lifted lower court injunctions against the ban until the high court can hear the case this fall. The justice's order exempted travelers from the ban if they have a, quote, bona fide relationship with a person or entity in the U.S., A U.S. official tells NPR that travelers from six mostly Muslim countries will be allowed to enter the U.S. if they have close family ties. That's defined as a parent, spouse, sibling, or child. Grandparents and cousins are not included. The same requirement, with some exceptions, applies to refugees from around the world seeking entry to the U.S. The Trump administration is hoping to avoid the chaos at airports that accompanied its first travel ban in January. The State Department says that anyone who already has a visa can use it to travel. So can refugees who are scheduled to arrive in the U.S. through July 6th. Joel Rose, NPR News. The House takes up two immigration enforcement bills today that would strengthen punishments against people who return to the U.S. illegally and against so-called sanctuary cities and states. Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly says the localities make their residents less safe when they refuse to cooperate with federal agents who are tasked with cracking down on illegal immigration. The word sanctuary calls to mind someplace safe, but too often for families and victims affected by illegal immigrant crime, sanctuary cities are anything but safe. Instead, these cities are places that allow some criminals go free, undermine federal law enforcement and make our communities less safe. The Trump administration is asking nine jurisdictions for proof that they are cooperating with immigration enforcement. Places such as Miami, New York, Philadelphia and New Orleans are being warned they have until tomorrow to comply. A jury in Moscow has found five men guilty of carrying out the murder of Russian opposition leader Boris Nemtsov. NPR's Lucian Kim reports from Moscow the five suspects all have roots in the southern Russian province of Chechnya, whose leader has threatened opposition politicians in the past. Boris Nemtsov, who vocally opposed Russia's military intervention in Ukraine, was gunned down outside the Kremlin in February 2015. A former Chechen serviceman named Zawur Dadaev and four accomplices were found guilty. The five men maintained their innocence. The prosecution and lawyers representing the Nemtsov family disagree over who ordered the murder. Chechnya's pro-Kremlin leader, Ramzan Kadyrov, has called Russian opposition figures enemies of the people and traitors. The sentence in the trial is expected next week. Lucien Kim, NPR News, Moscow. At last check on Wall Street, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 145 points, more than half a percent, at 21,309. From Washington, this is NPR News.
The U.S. economy was healthier in the start of the year than initially thought. The Commerce Department reports gross domestic product, the broadest measure of economic health, grew at an annual rate of 1.4 percent from January to March, slightly better than earlier estimates. Part of the reason, greater momentum in exports and consumer spending. Unemployment claims are slightly higher for the week, while the less volatile four-week average is down. The Labor Department says it's received a couple thousand more applications than the week before, putting the seasonally adjusted total at 244,000 claims. Claims for unemployment benefits are still at historic lows. The Murdoch family's $14 billion bid for the giant European satellite TV company Sky has hit a roadblock. NPR's David Folkenflik reports a key British official says she has concerns it'll concentrate too much of the country's media in the family's hands. The Murdochs have sought full control of Sky for years. Their company, 21st Century Fox, already owns about 39% of it. The UK media regulator Ofcom raised red flags given the Murdoch's control of major British newspapers that have given them great political influence for decades. Cultural Secretary Karen Bradley said the family passed the test of being fit and proper owners despite scandals involving senior executives in both the UK and the US. But Bradley rejected concessions offered by 21st Century Fox for Sky News's editorial independence. The company has two weeks to convince her not to refer it for a six-month review. David Folkenflik, NPR News. The Dow is off more than 150 points at 21,302. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Visiting Angels, professional caregivers assisting adults in bathing, dressing, meals, and light housework nationwide. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Office locations are at visitingangels.com. This is Southern Remedy, kids and teens with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. Welcome to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. You know, ear, nose, and throat problems commonly affect children, and most can be managed by a primary care physician, but sometimes they require an expert to accurately diagnose and treat them. We're joined today by our special guest, pediatric otolaryngologist, Dr. Mark Reed, and as usual, we'll be taking your questions or comments. You can reach us this morning with any kind of problem related to ear, nose, and throat related to the health of your children at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. Well, I hope everybody is staying dry. It looks like we're in a kind of a uh, gulf uh pumping up of all that uh, moisture up into our area. And I was just walking into the studio this morning and a nice little drizzle is keeping the temperatures down a little bit. But, uh, man, it is muggy and wet out there. Uh, a lot of problem with uh, with uh, low-lying areas. So stay dry if you can. 
Well, welcome, Dr. Reed. It's been a while since you've been on the show, on the program with us. Uh, Welcome to the studio this morning. Thank you, Jimmy. What a privilege to be here today. Thank you. So uh, remind our listeners, I know you've been on several different Southern Remedy programs before. Uh, remind us about where you're from and sort of uh, your training and uh, what you do today. I'm a Jackson native, so from right here. Trained at the University of Mississippi Medical Center for medical school and for residency. And then I went to Children's Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio for my pediatric otolaryngology fellowship. Every time I hear Cincinnati, Ohio, I think, particularly if I'm on the radio, I think of WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. Jay's giving me a fist pump with that. All right. So, <laughs> not Great the, town. I always wanted to be Herb Tarlick. <laughs> I was going to say there's no resemblance to anybody on that show at this studio. <laughs> no. <laughs> of course. So so after your training, you came back to, to Jackson? Came back. I was the first pediatric otolaryngologist in Mississippi, and I uh, was in private practice for about 10 years before I joined the faculty at the medical center, and it's just been a, a wonderful time there the past uh, 11 years. Well, I know, uh, you know, there's some scary things about, uh, about otolaryngology for kids, and I will say that my patients, man, they love you to death. Oh. Like uh, they'll, you know, I'm I'm envious because some of them say, you know, Doctor Jimmy, you're the, you're great, but Doctor Reed, he might be a little bit better than you. <laughs> you're very kind. <laughs> we have a great time with our yeah. patients. I think you and I uh, share. You know, you, you learn little tricks of the trade to try to put children at ease or to distract them, and I learned this from Paul Parker, mm-hmm. uh, pediatric gastroenterologist. Uh, for years at UMC, uh, UMC, but bird noises. Oh yeah. So I think you and I both. Uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. We got we got the bird noises going on. Yeah, we got it. Uh, kids come away from seeing us thinking that they have birds in their stomach and ears and all over the place. But one thing I've learned from pediatrics: distraction is your very best friend. Absolutely. You can buy some time <laughs> and make them believe it's well worth it. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, so you know, ear, nose, and throat problems, that covers a lot of ground. For uh, a small area, it does. Yeah, it, it really does. And particularly with children, there's a lot of things that can go wrong in those areas. Most of them are acute things that, uh, when we say acute, doesn't mean that they look nice. It means that they last for a very short period of time. But some can be uh, a chronic problem that you, you need to address. Um, so tell us a little bit, what is, that's a big word, otolaryngologist. I'll tell you what, let me give you a bigger word. The real name of the specialty is otorhinolaryngology, head and neck surgery. Yeah. So that's... if we break it down, it makes it easier. Uh, oto means ear, rhino, nose, laryngo or larynx, the voice box or throat. And so our specialty is real regional. Obviously, we, we deal with the top of the body. In fact, we're pretty much responsible for everything above your collarbones except for your eyeball itself and the brain. That's a lot. It is. Yeah, it's actually the most complex anatomy in your whole body. As you well know. Exactly. I was about to say, you know, when you, uh, gross anatomy, uh, uh, so that's the course in medical school where you get to learn about the body, sort of how things are put together. And uh, we do that with, thankfully, for people who have donated their Mm -hmm. bodies uh, to medical schools so that we could learn how to do that on real people who have died. Um, And I can remember getting to that area, and it is incredibly complex, uh, the tissue planes, how those tissues are put together are really different. They can be very subtle, um, and it is, it is a challenging area to navigate uh, anatomically. So uh, that's, that's difficult uh, to do. So, so in, a, in a 
typical practice environment. So, you know, what's a day look like for you? Well, we, uh, we're very blessed with, especially in pediatric otolaryngology, to deal with some of the most common problems that kids have. In fact, it, I say common, common things are common. And one of the most common things that kids deal with are, of course, ear problems. In fact, when you look at, um, say, a general pediatrician's office, you'll see that most kids will be coming in for colds and viruses. But the second most common thing is ear infection problems. So ears are super common, of course, and then throat problems, tonsils in particular. Mm -hmm. So when we look at surgical-type problems, ear surgery or placement of tubes, which we can talk about, is the number one most common surgery done in children in the United States. It's about 20% of all ambulatory surgeries. Huge number, over 650,000 kids a year get tubes in their ears. Wow, that's a lot. And the third most common is tonsillectomy. Mm -hmm. 550,000 plus kids get their tonsils out every year. So we really have uh, two of the three top surgical problems that we'll see in children. Circumcision second, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) We we don't go there. (laughs) That's that's way below the collarbone. (laughs) Way. so, yeah, so that's a lot of uh, a lot of surgical procedures, you know, and even, you know, if you talk to people, uh, tonsillectomy, taking, having your tonsils taken out, uh, tubes in your ears, it's almost like a rite of passage uh, for a lot of people. You know, it, it really, and particularly in some families, probably because of their anatomy uh, that oh, they yeah. share, uh, just about everybody has had those procedures in, in the family, um, mostly well, at a younger age. Yeah, especially uh, ear disease, very genetic. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of well-known risk factors. The first question I ask a family when they come in, if both parents are there, which one of you guys do I have to blame for this? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's both. But uh, almost always one of the two parents will have had tubes or lots of ear problems as a child. And is that mainly because of the differences in uh, in the uh, middle ear cavity and the drainage system there or or posterior throat tissue? Well, you, you know, the, the main number one problem that causes ear infections is a malfunction of your eustachian tube. That's another big word, eustachian tube. But that's the communication to ventilate the ear that goes from the back of your nose to what we call the middle ear right behind your eardrum. So if you think of the ear as a cavity, a kind of like a cave almost, a closed cavity, it's got one little port to ventilate it, If that doesn't ventilate well, then you've got a closed space that doesn't get good aeration in there. And so especially if you get a cold or virus, you've got all this yucky stuff circulating around, you can get a lot of fluid in your ear that subsequently gets infected. That's really what causes ear infections. And then if it doesn't drain well, even after that, in fact, I'll say it takes about three weeks on average to drain the fluid from an ear infection. So if it's not draining well, it can get reinfected. And so the cycle tends to be repetitive. Yeah, that's important to, you know, a lot of the questions when parents bring their kids in, sometimes they think, well, if you can just look at the ear, you can sort of see what's going on. That's true. Mm -hmm. But it's also true that we need that history. And the common history is they've had a cold or some kind of, you know, uh, allergic type symptoms, maybe for a couple of days. And all of a sudden their pain increases if they can verbalize that depending on their age. Uh, They may have a fever with that. Uh, and, and maybe even in some situations of perforation of the eardrum and, and actual pus coming out of the ear canal. But, but that history is pretty common in that sequence of events. Oh, yeah. You have to have at least a cold first before right. you get an ear infection. But interestingly enough, you know what the most common symptom of an ear infection is? I would guess ear pain. 
Okay. Well, it probably is, <laughs> but but for babies who can't tell you. That's true. That's true. Uh, the most common symptom is fussiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's and true. So it's very yeah, nonspecific, yeah. which is you yeah. know tough for parents. I feel very sorry for parents trying to figure out if their child has an ear infection because there's just no way to know. There are a lot of things that cause fussiness. Fever is only about 50% of the time with yeah. an ear infection, so we can't really rely on that. So kids who are waking up in the middle of the night, they don't normally do it, especially with the cold. Yeah, there's pretty good suspicion something else is going on. Be good to check out. Yeah, moms are really good barometers about what's going on with their babies. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it is incredibly common for patients to be brought in by their parent and say, you know, I just I can't put my finger on it, but they're not acting right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're increased fussiness, as you mentioned. And uh, a good a good doctor will listen to that oh, yeah. and go with that because that's, you know, uh, even if that child looks fine when they're in the office, that's an incredibly sensitive thing that, you know, when the parent says, ah, something's not right, and, and uh, I listen to that. I mean, that's a big deal. Hey, hey mamas know best for the reason. Yes, they do. I have a story about that. So my oldest, when he had his first ear infection, no fever, um, I, I went home. My wife said, I think he's got an ear infection. I mm-hmm. said, why? And she said, well, you know, I just don't, I just can't put my finger on it, but I think he does. He's a little bit fussy and... Uh, so I, I looked at him, and I'm like, I, I don't think so. I didn't actually look mm-hmm. in his ear at that time. Mm-hmm. 24 hours later, he perforated his eardrum, oh, wow. <laughs> and then I felt, you know, sheepishly, I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I <laughs> should have listened to you because uh, you know you're right. Moms know best. We're talking about ear, nose, and throat problems this morning with our special guest, Dr. Mark Reed. If you have a question or a comment about any kind of ear infections, nose infections, throat infections, anything from the collarbone up except the eyes and the brain, give us a call this morning at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or give us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we're going to dive into those different kinds of infections and have plenty of time to address your calls. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. There's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Sharita Brent. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mbbonline.org.
Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Mark Reed, pediatric otolaryngologist or otorhinolaryngologist. <laughs> How about ENT? ENT, that works. Uh, we're talking about ear, nose, and throat problems in your children today. We'd love to hear from you if you have any burning questions. Maybe your child has had chronic ear problems and you just don't know what's going on. You don't know if that's the normal course, if you need to do something different. Give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. So speaking of ears, yes. so we, we brushed a little bit on uh, on otitis media or ear infection. So, But there's different types of infections in and around the ear that you mm-hmm. can have, right? Sure. So tell us a little bit more about some of the, the common things or ways that they present and what's the differences there. Okay. The really two main infections that we deal with in the ear, otitis media by far, number one, and that's the infection in the middle ear space behind the eardrum. The other very painful kind of ear infection we see this summer, and it's swimmer's ear, also called otitis externa. And really, if you think about it, otitis externa is an infection of the ear canal, but it's really a skin infection. You get some water in your ear after swimming, water sits around, you don't shake it out well enough, then it allows some bacteria to start growing. Just like when you're in a bathtub, how your skin wrinkles up for a long time, same thing happens to the skin in your ear, and it starts causing some little cracks in the skin. It gives great opportunity for the bacteria to get in there. When that happens, it really, really hurts. And so uh, kids, adults, whoever will present saying, if the wind even blows by mm-hmm. my ear, it's excruciating. Yep. It's so painful. So we have to get that cleaned out very, very, very gently, get all the yucky stuff out, and then we get some antibiotic topical uh, drops in the ear to help relieve that. Yeah, it's a nice thing to, to treat, actually, because you can get right there where the infection is. Oh, yeah. um, and you don't have to, most of the time, you don't have to take anything uh, antibiotic by mouth. Oh, no. Which with kids, uh, depending on the age, can be a little tricky, you know, with eardrops. For some reason, you know, kids get freaked out any kind of, if you put anything in their nose, their ears, mm. uh, just the sensation. Uh, and then there's some, actually, some drops to sort of numb the pain, too. Yeah. Uh, the, the best way to relieve it is get rid of the infection Absolutely. and let the swelling go down. Absolutely. We'll put a little wick in there. There's a little sponge in the ear sometimes just to keep the antibiotic drop in contact with the skin. Yeah. Uh, but they'll feel better pretty quickly once we get the drops in. We should mention, too, that, um, you know, earwax mm-hmm. is a big issue with, with a lot of families, yeah. I should say. Uh, you know, everybody's earwax, I like to tell them, they're as unique as individual personalities. Mm-hmm. And some people have squishy earwax some people have drier earwax harder earwax it's it's not a good idea uh leave it to the surgeon leave it to to dr reed or your your physician to go into that canal mm-hmm. uh so self-inflicted is <laughs> oh, the number yeah. one reason we see cerumen impaction right so right so you tips are not made for the ear canal they're, they're really made for not. the outer ear yeah so so that's a bad idea and when you do that you remove some of that protective layer of earwax right to that skin and uh you know you combine that with swimming and uh, or maybe a little bit of trauma in mm-hmm. the ear itself uh to that skin and you sort of set yourself up for an infection so if you want to avoid it don't go sticking those q-tips into no. the into the ear like that not a good idea or anything else for that matter that's right a little bit harder for some kids they love to put stuff in their ear and it's always interesting uh what are some of the more 
interesting things that you've pulled out of an ear canal? Uh, I, 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 I'll make people cringe with this story, <laughs> but it's a true story. You, you just wouldn't believe what you can get out of the ear or nose or throat <laughs> or bronchus or, you know, your windpipe. But ear, one of the most memorable stories for me was a 10-year-old boy who came in and he was complaining about pain in his ear for two weeks. So I look in his ear. We, we have the option of using a microscope in our office, of course. So I'm looking in his ear, and I see this thing, and I reach in and grab it. And it's actually a roach that its arms were going just shaking right in front. They had been scraping his eardrum for two weeks. Wow. It was very bad. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I'll probably wake up. I see Jay's making a face in there. He's probably oh, going to wake up tonight with nightmares with that. It's all right, Jay. <laughs> we pulled out all kind of stuff you wouldn't believe. It's just yeah. Um, yeah, it really is. It's it's uh it's incredible, you know, how things can get in there and get lodged in that in that space, but uh particularly insects because they do move around and you hear that. It gets yeah. amplified because of how close it is to the or maybe it's knocking on the eardrum like that. Oh yeah. Uh that's two weeks. Wow, that's yeah, a long time. That's bad. Well let's go to our first caller. We have uh Chris in Jackson. Good morning, Chris. Are you there, Chris? Yes. Can you hear me? Sure. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Hey, I um, I just had a comment. My uh, son, Ben, years ago, I think it's been 10 or 15 years ago, had a lot of problems with ear infections. And um, we were living in Starkville, I think, at the time and came down here to Jackson. And Dr. Reed uh, took care of my son and did surgery and did a great job. He's had no problems since. And uh, Dr. Reed had just such a great bedside manner and did such a great job. Uh, I know it's been a lot of years, but I still appreciate the job that, that he did. Oh, that's very, very nice. I'm, I'm glad to hear he did well, and I appreciate the compliment. Thank you so much. Good, good. Well, that's all I had. I just happened to turn on and hear you all on the radio. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, that means a lot to us as physicians. Yeah. Yeah. And uh Particularly, I know a lot of times in the surgical sub uh, uh, specialties, you don't really uh, you you get in, you get out, you may get a compliment there, but you don't ever hear about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may not see them sometimes, but one or two times, or maybe you know short follow up. It is nice to hear that uh, you is. know that things worked out uh, with the time differential like that. Very so, nice. Um, and one thing about a lot of the surgical specialties is you you either fix it or you don't, <laughs> and uh, it's it's gratifying most of the time because you you fix the problem they do well they may have a little bit of you know post operative problems but really otolaryngology that's that's pretty quick on uh it's almost an instant gratification yeah. specialty really yeah, yeah kids get better so fast except for tonsillectomy which tends to be tougher but uh, especially with ear tubes literally which we can talk about ear tubes if you want but those kids immediately benefit. When they wake up from surgery, mm-hmm. their hearing is better. Um, they may not have pain anymore if they had an infection at, during the time of surgery when we put them to sleep. So you really, truly get instant gratification. So so let's talk about that. So a what are the indications? Well, first of all, tell us what is a tube cause yeah. in the ear? Because people get these, I think they think about all kinds of things that it uh, that huh. could be in there. I, just like I did. I yeah. mean, before I was yeah. a specialist, that's exactly what I <laughs> exactly. thought. I think when I heard the word ear tube, all I can think of is something that's really long that's sticking out of the ear. Yeah. 
and that is completely opposite of what a tube is. I thought of the water slide, actually. Okay. I don't know why, but I That's thought of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, so we'll go back to what I was saying earlier, that our problem was not ventilating the ear very well due to poor eustachian tube function. So what we're doing when we put a tube in a child's ears, we're, we're functionally taking the place of that eustachian tube, and we're using something that's a lot more reliable in ventilating the ear. So when we put a tube in, we're really creating a hole in the eardrum to ventilate. You can't feel it. You don't know the tube's in your ear. But the actual tube itself creates a hole. And the tube, if you want to think of how most tubes are designed, if um, if women who sew a lot think about the uh, top of a sewing machine, there's a little bobbin at the top that has thread. It's the, the metal bobbin. Tubes are shaped very much like that. Or for guys, the big cable spools that you'll mm-hmm. see on the sides of the, the roads or interstates, they're the same shape. So it's, a, it's actually a fairly flattish kind of design with some rims or edges on it that hold it in place. And so we need something that just basically goes right through the eardrum to provide a hole, and that's it. There are different kinds of tubes. There are, in fact, multi-different designs of tubes, and each has its own purpose. There are some tubes that are a little bit longer that stick out from the eardrum a little bit. They definitely don't stick out the ear. Uh, <laughs> that are designed to stay in a long time in the ear, called T-tubes. Mm-hmm. They look like the letter T. But the goal of a tube is to ventilate that ear. Mm-hmm. And so once a tube is in place... If you think about it, if you try to build up any fluid behind your eardrum with the tube, and it just drains out. Mm-hmm. And so that's a huge advantage. You can't trap fluid anymore behind your eardrum. So the ultimate result of a tube is it should really help the child's hearing if they've had fluid problems before. Because if you have fluid behind your eardrum, I'll give you a great demonstration of what that's like. If you jam your fingers as tight as you can in your ears, that's the same as having fluid right. behind your eardrum. Yeah. So it's it's not deafness, but it's not good hearing either. And so if you're a child, a small child who's trying to learn how to talk and you can't hear very well, the two don't go well together. And so we'll actually see children that have pretty significant speech and language delays just because their hearing is so poor. And it seems counterintuitive, but the bad part of having fluid behind your eardrum is it doesn't hurt. And so because that doesn't call attention to itself, And we know it's just really hard for parents to pick up on hearing loss. I wouldn't be any different as a parent. It's just very difficult for a young child. In fact, it's so hard in states that don't have universal hearing screening like we do. Do you know what the average age of detection of a child with hearing loss is? Oh, it's much, much uh, later than that. Yeah, it's it's over two. It's about two and a half years old. And that's because they're not talking. And by that that time, you do have significant uh, uh, speech and language problems in those kids. Absolutely. Yeah, so so we we do those screenings to pick up on things like that. And certainly asking parents can be one thing, but if it's very subtle Mm -hmm. uh, and a delay in speech and language, we always think about hearing loss first and and to to test for that. So even though that's a common developmental delay in of itself, we always want to check their hearing. And in fact, I just saw a child this morning. It was speech delayed and needed to have a hearing test done. So, and you may not think about that. You may think about, okay, well, is this a problem with the brain, with with other things? But it could be as something as simple 
that could have a, a great outcome if you relieve that fluid that's in the middle ear cavity. Yeah, you think about it, uh, you've got this space and you've got a eardrum that's supposed to move and vibrate. If, you, if it's all full of fluid, it's just really hard for it to do that. So that's called a conductive hearing loss where the sound doesn't conduct or transmit well to the inner ear part. The good thing about that type of conductive hearing loss, there are other types, but that type in particular, as soon as you get rid of the fluid, immediately the eardrum's free to move again and can transmit the sound. So that's why they wake up after surgery mm-hmm. hearing well. And that's a, you know, some parents will say, well, if you have a tube through that eardrum, can you still hear normally? Yes. And, and you, just like you mentioned, the, yeah, they, they yeah. hear much better, oh, yeah. uh, you know, with that tube in place. So how long does that tube stay in? If you're talking about just the regular kind and not mm-hmm. the, a T-tube. Or, right, yeah. Uh, there's still variations, but the type we use is generally a year to year and a half. Mm-hmm. And that gives kids time to develop their own eustachian tube. That's the beauty of it. So if you look overall statistically, the number of kids that uh, continue to have problems after the tubes fall out, it's about 25% of kids. So 75% do very well. And, and with one set of tubes, they've basically outgrown their problem. Mm-hmm. So year, year and a half is usually sufficient. And that takes us out of that period, you know, because of the way that eustachian tube develops mm-hmm. and the size of it, the location, the sort of the, the angle that right. it drains. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why kids that are younger uh, get more ear infections than older kids most of the time. Right. Uh, is because of that. And so, okay, so the tube falls out mm-hmm. uh, or, or dislodges, and it may still be in the canal. It right. may need to be, you know, simply extracted, uh, or it falls out and you don't know where it went. Uh, sometimes you'll you'll find them on a pillow in the middle of the night <laughs> or something, and you think, what is this? And there are all kinds of different colors to these things, too. Yeah, it's, uh, the type uh, we use are bright blue. Yeah, so. yeah, so you can see them. Actually, so what's so funny, you mentioned you can't find it. I we tell parents all the time, you're not likely to find a tube. And I'll clean the tube out in, in the ear canal in the office using the microscope, and it'll fall on the floor. And we, we can't even find it. Yeah. And I mean, it's just really hard to find. <laughs> They're small. They are. Um, so it falls out. And then what happens to that eardrum after, after it falls out? Yeah, great question. Usually before the tube falls out. So the last stage of the tube would be the back wall of the eardrum will start to close and occlude the tube. It'll block the tube because it's healing up. It wants mm-hmm. to push the tube out. And so most of the time when the tube actually falls into the ear canal, the eardrum is normal when that happens. So there's a very small risk that it can leave a hole in the eardrum when a tube falls out. The risk is very minimal. It's about one half of 1%. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a hole, for some kids, it's a great thing to have a hole. Yeah, because they have an extra ventilate. Yeah, Yeah, it's a natural ventilation. But um, if you don't need a hole anymore, we first watch to see if the hole will close up because there are holes that will certainly close up over time. If it doesn't close, we can patch it, but Mm -hmm. it would take another surgery to patch a hole. And, and you mentioned surgery, too, but now, uh, you know, uh, tubes are put in right in the office, right? Well, not generally. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> Sometimes, I guess I should say. Uh, very uncommonly, in younger kids in particular. Yeah. Is, and that's a control issue with actually putting it in? or uh, it's Well, there are many issues. One is it's really loud when you uh-huh. put a tube in, you know, so kids aren't going to sit still while you're doing something like that. Right. You do need to numb the eardrum if you're going to do it under local, but... 
the standard of care is actually to just use what we call mask ventilation, mm-hmm. use a gas, anesthesia gas, let a child go to sleep. It takes about 30, 40 seconds there asleep. It's real quick. Uh, we don't have to start an IV. We don't put a breathing tube in. But we monitor everything like we're doing every mm-hmm. other type of major surgery that we do. The whole surgery itself takes 10 minutes from the time you go to sleep to the time you wake up. It is it is considered the easiest surgery you can have, mm-hmm. certainly one of the quickest. And then there's nothing to recover from. You just have to wake up from the anesthesia, which just takes a few minutes after that. So um, so you're talking like, you know, half day at the most of that's when really you about hit two the door. Hour. Yeah. We, we usually have parents come in about an hour before and they leave an hour after. That's a quick time, quick Pretty time quick. to be in and out. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so if you're, uh, you know, if your child is is dealing with this right now, if they've had chronic ear infections, maybe your physician has said, you know, I think it's time at this time that we need to see an ear, nose, and throat doctor. The tubes might be the thing that we need. Uh, that's something to keep in mind about, uh, you know, just what are the risks, which are incredibly small right. with that type of surgery. Um, so, so there's other, you know, hearing loss in general. You mentioned probably one of the most mm-hmm. more common ones. Uh, what are the, some of the other problems with hearing loss in kids and, and mm-hmm. common causes of that? Yeah, sure. Um, when you look at all types of hearing loss, there, there are really two main ones. The conductive hearing loss that I mentioned, the other is called sensory neural hearing loss or nerve hearing loss. Mm-hmm. That's what most people would know it as. So that's more of a permanent hearing loss. Conductive hearing loss, for the most part, is reversible or it could be corrected with uh, some surgeries. But sensory neural hearing loss is not correctable any surgery. Those would be um, the types of hearing loss that if it's not too severe, they can still use a hearing aid. Or if you are deaf and you have a a total hearing loss, you can have a cochlear implant put Mm -hmm. in that can restore your hearing. But when you look at the incidence, especially in children, there are about three children per thousand that will be born with what we call congenital hearing loss or birth hearing loss. So in Mississippi, we have about 50 to 60,000 births a year. So we we were one of the first in the nation to um, use universal hearing screening. So we, we have the very huge benefit of picking up these children early. And that's why, especially birth moms, will know that their child had a hearing screen before they leave the, the, um, before they leave the nursery and discharge from the hospital. We can pick up on those hearing losses, which make a huge difference as far as the outcomes for these kids, especially with speech and language. So, yeah, and screening, again, can't overemphasize that. Mm. And uh, that's that's a huge uh, benefit with identifying those children early. Uh, and if they do have a sensor, sensory neural hearing loss, mm-hmm. I mean, there are some things that we can do, like yes. you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and hearing aids most of the exactly. time. Exactly. Uh, but identifying them early is the most important we um, we know that about half of those kids are going to have a genetic cause mm-hmm. for hearing loss. And mm-hmm. then there are other factors outside of genetics. Many times there'll be uh, infectious causes, particularly something called cytomegalovirus, CMV virus mm-hmm. that they may get. Um, some drugs preemie babies mm-hmm. might get in particular can cause hearing loss. Um, we know, in fact, in the preemie population, babies who stay in um, neonatal intensive care units, the incidence of hearing loss is actually one in 50, yeah, which is not high. three per thousand. Yeah. So, yeah, it's much higher. So. Uh, and a lot of things, uh, too, have been you know looked at, studied, and interventions to try to reduce the ambient noise that mm-hmm. they have in those right. ICU environments because it can be sort of loud. Other combinations of things that, like you mentioned, medications that they might be receiving. Yeah, so you, I'm going to mention this real quick since you're mentioning noise. Yes. 
for I'm glad older you, that's where I was kids. going. That's oh, okay. where I was going. All right. So, uh, so older kids. Yeah, so you like putting <clears throat> headphones, and especially <laughs> inserts in their ear. Yeah. You have to be super careful with that because um, yeah. noise-induced hearing loss is a real thing. Yeah. And so when you especially meet older people who um, may need hearing aids, there's definitely an element of just being old and having hearing loss. But many of those people would have had a noise-induced hearing loss. Mm -hmm. And so more and more now we're seeing younger kids with noise-induced hearing loss from the inappropriate use of of their um, phones and music players and in-ear headphones. It can be over-the-ear, too. It just depends on the level right. that you hear. So you can actually have a moderately high level of um, noise over time causing hearing loss mm -hmm. and not something that's like a huge blast over right. a short period of time that causes hearing loss like a, you know something like a explosion or, or a yeah. jet engine going off it takes just a few seconds to cause permanent hearing loss but loud music over time can certainly do the same thing and it's an irreversible hearing loss yeah can't get that back after you lose it right um i of course when you by the time your kids are doing that uh they have uh, they have developed quite a bit of self-wisdom about what is appropriate and not appropriate. I'm being sort of a little sarcastic here. Uh, so, you know, there are some ways to limit that. It's sort of hard to do that on devices, but there Actually, are... Actually, I was going to bring that up because yeah. I'll have this talk with parents, especially yeah. of younger kids who have um, iPods or, mm -hmm. or their first phone or something. If that's an issue for that child where they're using their headphones too much, I'll always talk to the parent about there is a, a parental mm -hmm. level that right. you can set and, and lock it with a password-protected mm -hmm. volume level on most iPhones and other devices. So for parents who aren't educated about that, please get educated on that and go ahead and set a level that's comfortable for you as a parent, assuming you don't have hearing loss yourself. Yeah, if you, if you have hearing yeah, loss, good. <laughs> find somebody who can hear. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and set an appropriate level. Make sure your child can't turn it up above that level. Yeah, that's a great way to limit that. And, uh, and again, just... Uh, you know, my kids uh, sort of make fun of me because on my car radio, I'll, mm -hmm. particularly in the morning time, you you know, you're you're asleep. The the level tends to go up the longer you're in the car, <laughs> and um, I, I'll set it on the lowest level that's you know comfortable to hear everything. And of course, you know what do kids like? You like loud music and you like it uh, blaring. But uh, I'll tell you, all the time I'll see a kid in the office. Mom is very concerned about the hearing. The, the things that brings the child in is they turn the TV up so loud at home it's driving everybody crazy yeah. so we'll get a hearing test and i'll come back and i'll say i've got some good news and i've got some bad news <laughs> good news is your child has perfect hearing the yeah. bad news to the child you have to turn it down yeah yeah dang <laughs> <laughs> uh this is southern remedy kids and teens i'm here with our special guest dr mark reed we're talking about ear nose and throat problems this morning Got plenty of time for any questions that you might have about any uh, any of those issues that are involving the health of your children. You can give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to continue our discussion about maybe some nose and some throat problems when we come back after this break.
Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. What activities does your group have planned this summer? How are you letting others know about them? MPB has a free way to help. Just email us now. It's events at mpbonline.org. We'll put your information on the air. Let listeners around the state know about your upcoming festivals, concerts, or other fun events. Send an email to events at mpbonline.org. We look forward to hearing from you. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, kids at mbbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with Dr. Mark Reed, pediatric otolaryngologist. And we're talking about ear, nose, and throat uh, uh, problems and how to deal with those in your family. You can give us a call this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We're going to go to uh, Linda in Macomb, who has a question about hearing issues for her son. Been talking about that a good bit. Good morning, Linda. Thank you for calling. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for taking my call. And what's your uh, question this morning? Okay. My son, who's now 40, uh, never had ear infections, but it ends up that he had allergies, and I wish I had addressed that sooner. Um, in one calendar year, he had bronchitis 11 times, pneumonia five times and as after the fifth grade his teacher said you know i don't think he hears right and so i went and they had him tested and he had a reading learning disability called auditory discrimination and so the little things he was saying when he was a baby we thought were cute and funny uh was actually the way he heard it so i know you've already addressed you know, parents and hearing and language development, but please emphasize that. I do so wish I had addressed that earlier. It made it so hard for him um, as far as reading, and he can't spell LSU. But, you know, I, I mean, it, it, he ended up, he graduated with honors, and I read everything he read, and we discussed our guts out about it, but he didn't really get it because of the hearing loss. Yeah, that, it's, you know, that's, that's an important issue. Thank you for bringing that up again, Linda. Uh, and again, it, like we mentioned earlier, it can be very subtle in how yeah. those those uh, present. And, and a speech and language delay is a very common one. And I, I've had a lot of parents that, you know, you, you bring your child in and you may even notice that when you're asking them about, you know, the number of words, are they having any problems with consonants or uh, vowels, the, the different types of speech, uh, speech acquisition uh, that they can learn. 
And sometimes parents can be a little bit hesitant and say, yeah, well, they're just being, like you mentioned, cute, or they're just, uh, you know, that's that's just appropriate for their age. Uh, but really, most of the time, we take those things seriously, and uh, that's why, is because we don't want that to happen. Yeah, even though a child passes an infant screening test doesn't mean that they can't develop problems yeah. after that. So it's it really is diligence on the parent and pediatrician part to uh, follow up and let us test them anytime there's a concern. Yeah. Hearing is, you know, it's like a lot of other things in medicine. So it's not, if it's fine right now, that doesn't mean it's, you're going to have problems later. Right. Uh, and other things can pop up. And just because particularly at birth, if they pass their hearing screen, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that down the road they can have problems. And as we mentioned, you know, there's lots of different things that could cause dysfunction of that eustachian tube uh, that drains the middle ear cavity. And, uh, you know, chronic allergies can do the same mm-hmm. thing just Absolutely. because you have inflammation of that tissue. So thanks for thanks for bringing that up, Linda. We appreciate your call. Let's go to Gus in Belzona, who has, uh-oh, we're going back to bugs and ears. Uh-huh. Good morning, Gus. Hey, good morning. Listen, uh, I know everybody kind of freaked out over the bug in the air thing. I'm an ER nurse, uh-huh. and uh, if I had a nickel for every person we've had to chase down through the emergency room that comes in with a bug, um, <laughs> it, it, it's uh, it's horrifying. But I wanted to uh, just mention something quickly if you're at home and this happens, is that if you can control your panic long enough to lay down in a bathtub and fill up enough water to get your ears underwater, uh, you'll either drown the bug or flood your ear canal enough that it can swim itself out. And that's just a, a little anecdotal thing there because I know a lot of folks are going to be uh, having nightmares about that. But I have two other things I wanted to ask you. Uh, uh, one is, um, is there uh, scar tissue that develops over the eardrum if you've had a perforation? Are these uh, uh, tubes removed? Yeah, that, that's a uh, and, and, does that affect your hearing long term or does it just completely heal itself? Yeah, that's a terrific question. Um, actually, for the most part, no, because the eardrum, eardrum is extremely thin. I, I think of it kind of like a pane of glass. And it, most of the time you can look through it and that gives us a huge advantage in knowing what's going on. But it's super thin. The middle layer of the eardrum is what we call the fibrous layer. So it makes up the structural strength of the eardrum. The outer layer is made up of skin, but it's so thin that you can see through it. And then the inner layer is what we call a mucosal layer. And so when a tube falls out, what's interesting is that instead of um, causing scar right there, it usually causes just a small amount of weakness because you don't have the fibrous part of the eardrum anymore. So the outer layer and the inner layer touch each other to patch essentially that hole. So um, it's really kind of the opposite in a way. We think of scarring as a buildup of a particular type of uh, collagen tissue. Uh, This is not like that when a tube falls out. So if anything, it may cause a little bit of weakness of your eardrum, but that does not affect your hearing. Go ahead. If you don't mind, I just want to mention one other thing, too. I was at a, um, uh, uh, you know, everybody's got these subharmonic bass boosters in their cars right Mm -hmm. now. I was at a convenience store the other day, and somebody left their car stereo blaring out in the parking lot. And uh, as I was uh, glaring at it when I was walking out, I realized that there were four small children in the yeah. back seat of that car. Terrible. The noise was so great, you could not, uh, you couldn't speak. And the kids were just having a great time in the back. And I'm sure they probably already suffered 
uh, hearing loss from having been around that. But, you know, that's something that uh, I don't know if anybody has ever uh, considered to be a, a type of uh, child abuse over the fact that these they're being subjected to something that they can't control. Yeah. So, so anyway, just a comment. Yeah, thank you, Gus. Um, yeah, you, you need to think about that. You know, Absolutely. Um, uh, music uh, can be damaging uh, if the volume is high enough. And uh, just because it sounds good and the kids are having a good time right now doesn't mean that it's not doing damage. Yeah, there are a lot of deaf musicians out there. <laughs> Absolutely, and they will tell you that. Yeah, they will. Um, I, one other thing about bugs in the ears, a lot of people try to extract those themselves. Mm -hmm. Again, not a Difficult. good idea. You can't see what you're doing. You're sticking a, another foreign object into right. the ear. Uh, let let the professionals do that and right. and get it out. I think that's a that's a great thing. You know, if you want to do the the tub thing, it's probably not going to cause any harm. Um, but yeah, I just get somewhere where they could get that out. So we appreciate that, Gus. Uh, let's go to Bob in Memphis, who has a question for us. Good morning, Bob. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. I hope you can hear me okay. Yes, we got you. Um, but I did. I wonder what. Ear, nose, or throat problems could affect the older patient, the 70s adult. Um, for example, what would cause the feeling? You know, you know how your head feels when the elevator stops, mm -hmm. um, and except side to side. What, what would cause that in ear, nose, throat? Um, I don't know if it's vertigo or a touch of vertigo. That that feeling. What what would that be? Well, it could be several things, but probably one of the more common things is something called benign positional vertigo. Um, the ear not only hears, of course, it has your balance organs on the inside called the vestibular system. And part of that vestibular system includes, um, if you want to think of it kind of like little rocks within your ear that can become dislodged. And because they're rolling around in an uncontrolled way, can promote vertigo. And that's uh, particularly true in people if they suddenly turn their head a certain way or look up or look down, roll over in bed. It may stimulate that vestibular system to um, cause you to feel very dizzy. The good thing about that type of, of vertigo is that, that can be corrected fairly easily by repositioning those little stones back in place. And um, an otolaryngologist or one who's particularly trained in in ear-only problems, which is called otology, uh, can do that very readily and, and get those pa patients feeling better much quicker. Could, could that even affect the, the vision focus? Uh, not directly with your vision, though. No. If you have vertigo, which sort of, you know, the layman's term is the room spinning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your eyes twitching at the same your time. Your eyes try to reposition. So sometimes, so it, while it doesn't directly affect your vision, your eyes are trying to stabilize your movement, and they right. can they can be affected by it. But uh, That's what gives you the spinning sensation. Exactly. It's actually your eye movement that right. makes you feel like you're moving. It's like tracking on an old VCR. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Showing my age. Well, that, that, I, I remember that well. Thanks, Bob, for that uh, for that question. Uh, certainly, that's that's something that affects a lot of older individuals. Um, it just so many different things in that in that space, mm -hmm. uh, and it's interesting how those two systems can can be affected uh, simultaneously. Yeah. But thankfully, not as much in in kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, but in older individuals, those maneuvers are really neat. They're yes. neat to do in the office. And, I've, you know, some patients can even be taught those if they have the problem 
to not as I, not as effectively. I, mean, I just got to tell you this. Okay, so <laughs> so where I trained yeah. at Children's in Cincinnati, there was a, a guy who finished after me who actually has an app that you can bring up on your iPhone, <laughs> and it puts you through the maneuvers yourself. Yeah, yeah. and uh, works actually. Yeah, yeah, you can do it at, at home if you have somebody that uh, if you can put them through that movement a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I've had some patients who are like, "Yeah, it happened to me again. <laughs> I did it right quick, or maybe I had to do it a couple of times, but it just reset things." And yeah. uh, those little stones in there uh, <laughs> got repositioned. Let's go to Dexter in Oxford, Mississippi. Good morning, Dexter. Morning. I have a question about uh, terminate reduction and uh, nasal congestion. Um, okay. I'm 65, and um, my main problem is <clears throat> when I'm lying down at night, then mm. my left nostril can become obstructed pretty well. Mm. In the past, I had a terminate reduction on the left, and uh, it seemed to work okay. But um, I'm frustrated that... Um, I'm still congested on the left, especially when lying down at night. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if anything else I could do besides doing another reduction. That's a great question. Um, there are different types of reductions, and I don't know what you had in particular, but um, there there are many factors that may be going on in your nose. Obviously, it's hard for me to say over the air, but... Um, it it may be possible to medically get your nose better just using a nasal steroid spray. If you haven't done that before, that's definitely a good first option. Um, you may also have a septal deviation. If it's always on the left side, you may be tighter on that side, essentially. So that's something that would not be corrected with medicines. But if it's purely a turbinate problem that's not responding to med- medical treatment, then uh, doing a revision a turbinoplasty or turbinate reduction would be a, probably the best option for you. What about the uh, nasal congestion I experience when I'm sleeping? That's postural. Right, yeah. When we're flat, the nose congests more. That that happens to everybody. Uh, for it to be just on one side is is a little bit unusual. I think something else is, you know, I think you're probably tighter on that side would be my guess. But actually, it's interesting that our nose goes through a cycle about every two hours. And people, especially who are allergic, who have some chronic congestion, will notice it more than others. But one side of the nose will congest and get stuffy. The other will decongest. And you can breathe at least through one side most of the time. When you have real bad problems, both are congested and you need some help at that point. All right. Thank you, Jexter. And that's about all the time we have for today. I want to thank our special guest, Dr. Mark Reed, for joining us today. And thank you for uh, for all of our callers who, uh, who continue to call in with lots of good questions. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. And again, another thanks to uh, Dr. Mark Reed. You can join us each Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.